Welcome to the Daily Standard Podcast. It's December 12th, 2018. I'm Charlie Sykes, joined by Jim Swift and Andrew Egger of the Weekly Standard. So why, why were you guys just listening to uh, old Jurassic Park videos before we started this? What's that about? I've like, long we, since we, stopped questioning why Jim does the things that he does. I just sort of uh, tend to roll with it most of the time. You have a, you have a good explanation for that, Jim? I, you know, There's I, no hidden dinosaur meme there. <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, we we live in the meme economy right now. You know, it's, I was just thinking about uh, you know your scientists. You know, wondered whether or not they could, whether or not before they should. It it does it does strike me that uh, that we're, we're we are facing kind of an end times feeling to it. I was actually making notes of the what was the dumbest thing that's happened in the last twenty four hours, and I'm, I'm having a hard time just narrowing it down. Um, Steve King, a congressman from Iowa, a good friend of the Weekly Standard, uh, apparently had some confusion over his iPhone and was uh, was questioning the CEO of Google about that. And I think the CEO of Google had to point it? out to him it was a different company yeah, that but, made that. But e- but even then, I mean, there, I think from the story I read, I, I didn't do a deep dive into this. It was an iPhone, apparently, and uh, the CEO of Google said, well, you know, that's made by someone else. But, Apple. Yeah, but uh, he was saying his granddaughter was playing with an app, and if you're playing a uh-huh. game on an app and you're not paying for the app and there are ads on it, you're going to get targeted ads. I mean, is the GOP going to come out against targeted ads now when their grandchildren are going to – grandpa maybe has some skeletons in his closet? Whoops. Wait, 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 wait for it. We'll find out what they're and, – and so Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is on Twitter making fun of – what Steve Hayes and what Steve Hayes, what Steve King doesn't understand, um, and this has become the big thing. Like you know, which Steve which, Hayes which, is which, next, right? You know, Steve Hayes well, comes we, after Steve King. It's you got to you got to go down the order much, of magnitude yeah. of like Steve's from bad to good. So she's, I think, Steve yeah. Hayes has a while. Well, you know what's happened to our brains? It's the same thing that's happened to. Speaking of iPhones, it has the the autocorrect, or you know, it, it it fills in the the field. You 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 just type in the first two letters, and it fills something in. You know, so yes. so that's how that happens. Um, but so all I, the I see, I, all the best memes coming out of the the Google hearing yesterday were you know Steve Steve King related and with good reason because that was like a good haha sort of like dunk moment. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I don't know what we're planning on talking about today because this is a very seat of seat of our pants sort of episode of the Daily Standard. But I do have a I have some things we to say about, about that whole Google hearing yesterday if if you if you'd care to I humor do. them. Go 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 for it. Well, how uh how screwed is Google right? Um, I mean. Th- th- Google, sort of the last, uh, you know, tech industry to finally be dragged before, uh, you know, a, a congressional hearing and a year full of uh, full of those sorts of things. You know, we had Facebook and Twitter earlier this year uh, in the in the famous Diamond and Silk hearing where they 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 came before a House committee and sort of were read the Riot Act for suppressing conservative voices. But I I mean I I watched uh, a good chunk of the of the Google hearings yesterday with uh, forgive me I, I allegedly never... suppressing conservative voices. Yeah 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 no doubt. Um and you know, forgive me because I don't. Uh, I can't quite remember how to pronounce his name, but uh, Sundar Pichai, I believe, who's the the CEO of Google, mm-hmm. was was there testifying uh, before a House Oversight Committee, um, and it was just really striking uh, to see, you know, a hearing like this five, ten years ago 
um, the the fact that Google, you know, th- that this guy was sort of orchestrating a company that, that was doing things that really nobody on this committee really understood how they worked or things like that. that, that used to be the kind of thing that played in the favor of these sort of tech giants because they were supposed to sort of right. uh, usher in sort of a technocratic, brighter future that was going to, you know, connect us all in ways that was going to be very helpful. Um, and, and just the the things that have changed now, um, and, and it, they're, they're not even all connected to each other. A lot of the things that have happened seem to have happened almost sort of by accident, just like one domino after another falling against Google and Facebook and Twitter, such that pretty much no matter what your political persuasion is, you have you, you, you now have you know some sort of sharp stick that you're sharpening against Google and these companies. So just to see um, you know po- that th- th- this poor CEO come before these these senators and you know uh, or, sorry these these representatives, a few of whom were still just like, you know, and by the way, thank you for, you know, all the jobs that you guys create and all the small businesses you guys partner with and things like that. But it doesn't really matter whether whether it was, you know, Republicans or Democrats or liberals or conservatives, really everybody had something, uh, some bone they wanted to pick with Google. And I think that's that's sort of was just indicative of sort of where we are. Uh, we, we've come to this point where, you know, we sort of across the board. It's one of the rare bipartisan things that we've sort of seen the skeletons in the closet of big tech. It's an angry mob fun run. Yeah, and, and, but, but, yeah, well, at the same time, the that, 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 Sunny, yeah, yeah that, bunch, <laughs> politicize everything. See, I, I, I was struck by the fact that, uh, yeah, yes, everything you're saying is, is true, but, but when you, when you said that, you know, how screwed is Google? I thought you were referring to the fact that he's sitting there realizing that that his the congressional oversight is staffed with with basically a bunch of Grandpa Simpsons. But that's in, sort of the, in, that's in, sort of the in, point, in terms right? of their knowledge of of high tech. Yeah, because because think like ten years ago, the setting for a hearing like this, where you have a bunch of uh, congressmen and women up there who you know have sort of the vaguest idea of what Google does, but that sort of plays in Google's favor, right? Because there's this notion that this is some sort of like technological wonderkind who is you know using his superior knowledge that that these Congress people lack um, in or in order to like do great disruptive things for the country, for the economy, all these things. Now that public opinion has swung against uh, these big tech uh, companies, whether you're on the right, and that's because you suspect, uh, perhaps erroneously, that they've been intentionally suppressing conservative voices, or whether it's because you're on the left and you see the ways in which, for example, disinformation campaigns coming out of Russia have helped to sort of sow uh, discord in, in in our country today. Um, the, the fact that all, that all these people no longer really know how Google works and things like that, now it plays against Google because, I mean, as as we all know, you know, things that you don't really understand, you're more can, likely to be sort of skeptical and paranoid about, right? And we saw a lot of that yesterday. Can, can we take a step back here? Um, I, I'm just going to like just throw this out here because I, I don't think that you're wrong, Andrew, right? I, I think that we are now seeing a break um, you know, Steve King yesterday was laughed at by the Democratic staffers when he started talking about his granddaughter playing with his iPhone you know, or someone's iPhone and playing a game and seeing an ad that was making fun of him. These folks uh, who are the members, you know, in the House are asking these questions and many of them uh, don't know what they're talking about, as you're alluding to. Mm-hmm. Most of them rely on their staff. I, I can tell you. It is one of the most frustrating things as a staffer when you spend hours and hours and hours creating like a briefing book for your boss for a committee hearing, saying like, these are the things that are going to come up. These are the things that are important to your district. These are the things that are important to you. These are the questions you should focus on on asking because, you know, these other questions, probably other people more senior than you are going to ask them. And then it's just like, you know, why are you suppressing diamond and silk? 
you know, right. like I think Billy Long was that Billy Long who did that. Um, a number of people exactly did, and it was just like was. really like Republican members of Congress are going to bat for diamond and silk. Um, you know, so, they, you, you did strike me. You know, we look back on 2018. One of the one of the defining moments would be what you described as the diamond and silk hearing. Yeah, just, no, I mean, just just. Think about that. That, that is literally- yeah. Where they were the, the I mean, these are two. For those of you listening at home, these two like sort of popular pro-Trump voices on YouTube who were sort of called before Congress to to go up and talk about how the platforms that literally have made them famous have actually been conspiring against them since day one. I mean, all this very silly uh, sort of stuff. But the thing that struck me, I mean, y- yesterday, the, the the very wacky thing about it was that you had both Republican congressmen sort of scolding the Google CEO about how much uh, left-leaning news was showing up on Google News, and you had some Democratic representatives scolding them about how much right-leaning news. I mean, it, it, it's literally just a situation where, it's, where nobody wants to believe that it's all algorithmic just because they don't understand what's going on. And when well, you don't I'll, understand I'll, what's going also, on... It, 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 also, it, you have members of Congress, the federal government, beating up a private company for the content of the speech. Like, hello, you know, what could possibly go wrong here? Yeah, so, and it's, it's just it's just a situation where you know the fact that you know, you know ignorance. I mean, n- not to be too sort of blithe about all this, but ignorance really, really tends to breed this kind of conspiratorial thinking because, and which which makes perfect sense because when you don't when you don't really understand the the complexity of the thing behind the scenes. Again, the simpler story uh, to to sort of match your own sort of anecdotal experience with with all of these things is always that there's there's somebody you know behind the scenes sort of pulling levers here and there. Well, the only people who understand what's going on behind the scenes are the people behind the scenes. I I think the more uh, bad aspect of all of this is that these members, both right and left, who don't know what's going on behind the scenes and are willing to either look you know ignorant or dumb, like Steve King. Uh, are are willing to like take a stand because you know they could get the diamond and silks they can get you know the content creators who are on their ideological side to um, you know rally to their defense and that means more campaign funds and more other sorts of things well, and it's a private company Jesus leave them alone speaking of conspiracy theories and everything and I'm 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 not about to go into a random phase here just just so you know I'm going to get back to because Andrew and I would criticize you if you were being conspiratorial that's what we do here at the weekly standard me and Andrew we criticize conspiratorial people I almost never look at the Drudge Report anymore. I used to rely on it, but I mean, people ought to understand that the Drudge Report has had this tremendous impact in setting the agenda. Really, the the uh, I think it was probably the the universal prep sheet for every conservative talk show host uh, pundit in, in America. Yeah, it was with, Google News before point. Google News. So, yeah, so I, I wanted to go every once in a while. I'll look to see, you know, what's uh, what's what's playing, what's uh, what's trending, and right at the top left hand corner in red, there's a. Uh, uh, there's a, there's there's a headline that that because I'm I'm weird I was interested in it was debt poised to hit twenty uh, two trillion dollars, which I think is is that's an important story the national debt so I clicked on that. Do you know what the source Drudge used for this story? U.S. debt poised to hit tw- the twenty two trillion dollar mark as storm clouds indicate we could have another financial crisis. We we do now because we've actually been pulling this up in in real time. But why don't Info you go ahead and tell we us? We cheated. We cheated. Infowars. Yeah, I know, but he's delightful. Info, of of all of the sources for financial informational news, the Drudge Report chose to go with a story from Alex Jones's website, Infowars. So he does have a very soothing about, voice. 
There's a war well, out for your mind, Charlie. <laughs> well, Deep State you know, wants twenty two trillion to take your mind off of the you know, all the other issues. It it seems a little bit late to, to, to mention this again, but there was that moment when the Drudge Report and other conservatives began taking, you know, people like the Gateway Pundit and uh and InfoWars seriously and, and infected them into the bloodstream. And now we're seeing some of this stuff, you know, come out of the mouths of, of members of Congress. Uh, by the way, speaking of it, I said I was going to be random. So uh, Alexandria uh, Ocasio-Cortez has, you know, been – I don't know why people are so completely obsessed. I mean careful, she's running Careful, space. Charlie. Careful. She's yes. going to tweet at you. Well, no, but I mean, and, and, and some and some she of the, the tweeting has been un, unfair. But she, you know, took a shot at you know Steve King for being completely ignorant, and and of course uh, that that's generated its own buzz. But undoubtedly, the most foolish thing that I've seen over the last twenty four hours, and I say that advisedly, is from Vox, where Matthew is it Iglesias? Yeah. Yes, wrote a piece. It is ridiculous that it is unconstitutional for Alexandria Ocasio Cortez to run for president. Yeah, because now we really have to like begin talking about why this young woman who has not served a day in Congress, why it's so unfair that she cannot run for Congress. So I'm just I'm throwing that out there because I didn't want to spend any time. And then, of course, did you see uh, our good friend uh, Ann Coulter? By the way, I hope people understand that there's big question marks. I mean, not question marks, uh, you know, fake, you know, air quotes there. She goes on Fox yesterday and here's the direct quote. Okay. Quote, I mean, you have the Muslims and the Jews and the various exotic sexual groups and the black church ladies with the college queers. You must hate white men. It's the one thing they have in common. Talking about uh, either the Democratic Party or the left or or whatever. And it was one of those moments where you go, geez, Ann, you are not even pretending anymore. You're just not even like pretending that you're not this thing. Charlie, do you remember the movie PCU? No. PCU came out and like around speaking of Jurassic Park, around the same time and it was Jim's reaching into the deep tracks here. To yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean look at this. This would be three in the row. And at the yeah. end of it there was this young Republican that was uh portrayed um by um who who played Rand McPherson? Um, you think I've seen this movie, Jim? I yeah, I think hey, we've established that it's David Spade. David Spade. I, I okay. you know I, yeah. I gave you a DVD player to watch it. What? That's a different movie. And at the very end of this college graduation, he goes, "You and all the knee jerk, bleeding heart liberals, sipping tea party patty cake, unless those hippie pothead, those commie pinko leftists, the bunny huggers, and you know, just goes on this like super rant." And I just I watched this and I thought. Ann Coulter has embodied Rand McF- and, and you can't stream PCU anywhere legally. I mean, you, you can only buy okay. it on DVD. <laughs> but it was one of these like very subversive movies that uh, would never yeah, get remade today. but she's taken it today. to a whole new level. I mean, yeah. that's... She that, know, that look, seems... Ann Coulter knows what she's doing, right? I mean, she, hey, she might be crazy, did, but... That ranch you just gave is like Jim Swift every Friday night. So <laughs> yeah. You, that, that, yeah. That's not Ann Coulter. No, I mean, I, I, I left out some of the more offensive things, but there was one part about the goddamn whiny crybaby minorities. Oh, oh, you okay. can keep them all. all. Like... It gets more offensive. I, I was just trying to keep this yeah. PG. Oh, for she, our... she's she's getting to the she's getting to the downfall. You know, the movie Downfall. You guys yes. familiar with that? 
Yeah. That's that uh, the, the the German Hitler movie. Yeah. <laughs> where where you, where you can write your own script and everything. Oh, I've always compl- won- okay. I, yeah. I, I'm familiar now. I've seen the memes. So. But no, and and Anne's rant, which we won't play for you because this is a family podcast, was really <laughs> offensive, and it was just like this was on national television. Why? Yeah. Why? <sighs> and and speaking of of odd things, um, and and I'm kind of this is this is also highly random because it's un, unusual that I would see anything that uh, that. Uh, former Wisconsinite, former Milwaukeean Sheriff David A. Clark tweeted because he's blocked me on Twitter. All the good people have blocked me on Twitter. Um, put out um, y- yesterday, uh, what's happening in France will look like child's play if the deep state tries to undo the 2016 election by, all in caps, manufacturing a way to remove real Donald Trump before 2020. They are underestimating the resolve of Trump supporters like in France People will only put up with so much. Can I say one one thing about, and this is maybe not what, what you're trying to drive at with this, Charlie, but what, what, just because you brought it up, one thing that's been so interesting to me about the sort of uh, American reaction to these protests in France uh, against you know fr- French President Emmanuel Macron, um, they're left-wing protests over there. This is sort of like a left-wing sort of populist uh, sort of, outcry against the the French government against Macron's monetary policies and things like that but somehow it's been picked up uh in right-wing media over here as as you know as though Macron is himself some kind of radical leftist who's be, who's being protested by populists on the right uh, in his own country. Yeah, and see, because Trump was right about the Paris Accords, and the, these people are all Republicans, well, and there just is, like there, you. And there is sort of like an interesting thing here where sort of like the left-right uh, sort of single uh, intersectionality, spectrum, maybe. The, yeah, the single axis of left and right sort of breaks down a little bit because you can see how there are like certain respects in which Trumpian populism is similar to what you might have previously called leftist populism because these people are sort of striking see, now, for now, higher now, wages. Andrew, and Andrew, I was I was actually attempting to make a completely trivial snarky point. Sorry, you've made sorry, it Charlie. Now, you 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 made it serious. I had it on my mind. Po- I, I, I apologize the, the, for doing that to you. <laughs> no, because now it's become serious. Now it's become serious public policy. I was just going to say. You know, Sheriff David Clark, you know, Mr. Law and Order, now appealing to French rioters as the model of the future. Okay, that was that was the. Yeah, we don't. We, we in America, right. we don't tend to model our revolutions on French ones. Usually, it's the other way around. I'm just gonna like that's not. When did we start doing that? Yeah, no, but back to your point though, it does seem like a lot of uh, right wing Twitter, or, you know, the, the commentariat has has uh, you know picked up on the on the French. Uh, riots, in part because Macron, they don't see him as left or right. They just see him as Trump unfriendly. And and then that that bat signal goes up. And if Donald Trump doesn't like you, then we don't like you. And any anyone that, that attacks you um, must be, well, at least we find some way to exploit it. Here's another question, because you, you look across the headlines. Uh, Theresa May is facing a no confidence mode. Uh, Macron is uh, looking like Charles de Gaulle back in 1968, which was not a good year for him. Uh, Angela Merkel is uh, is on the way out. Um, Donald Trump is faced with a world of political problems. So who right now is the leader of the free world? Oh, Lord. Uh, Trick question. You know, huh? until, until you posed it that way, yeah. I don't think I had really visualized the degree to which, you know, there's so just sort of across the West, you know, political instability yeah. like we haven't seen in, in, in quite some time. And it's an in, it's interesting sort of as a reaction to 2016, obviously, as a, and, 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 it, and 2016 not just as um, 
uh, not not just as sort of like the the wave of sort of uh, Trumpy populism that that we that we sort of saw for a while there because Macron also came into power right around yeah. then and he's yeah. you know he's in even worse shape right now at least politically than Trump is here because he's he's not managed to hang on to any constituency and you know say what you well, will I'm, about Trump I'm, he's still yeah. locked his people down right so, I'll say Justin and Trudeau's I'm, looking yeah. pretty good well. Yeah, Canada. He's a he's a B list world leader, though. Let's be honest. I mean, it's Canada. They're ten years <laughs> behind us, right? Yeah. Well, I'm trying. Twenty twenty eight is going to be a hard year for Canada. When there was this much instability all at once among all of the leading Western powers, because there's usually someone that will step in and and fill that vacuum. You, usually, it's the United States. Uh, right. I actually tr- tried this this line out on somebody uh, earlier, and uh, and her answer immediately was, and I said, well, so given all this, who is the leader of the free world? And her quick answer was uh, Vladimir Putin. And I said, well, wait, wait, wait. I did say free world, <laughs> but 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 it, but in terms of somebody who's got to be sitting back on, hey, I can work with this. This is okay, you know. Pu- Putin becomes stronger by the weakness of others. He's obviously not the leader of the free world. But uh, world politics abhors a vacuum. Yeah. So, yeah. I, but it is, we are at an extraordinary moment. Okay. Now, speaking of extraordinary moments, and I'm sure that most people who tuned into this podcast thought we were going to start with the Chuck, Nancy, and Donald show yesterday. Um, truly extraordinary, even by our extraordinary standards. Um, I almost never disagree with Matt Lewis, but I want to tee this up this way. Did you see Matt Lewis's column in the Daily Beast? He says, everyone is wrong. Donald Trump actually won that confrontation. He said the mainstream media is going to focus on the immediate seriousness of a shutdown, lament the lack of civility. But I suspect many Americans will see that there was something refreshing about Trump's public stance. And then he goes down, he quotes, you know, Trump taking the bait. I am proud to shut down the government for border security because these people of this country don't want criminals and people that have lots of problems and drugs pouring into this country. So I will take the mantle. I will be the one to shut it down. I won't blame you for it. And his point is, look, um, Trump wants this at this point. His base loves this. He's got to show that he's going to fight. This is going to be the last chance for him to fight before the 2020 election. So, in fact, he looked strong and he was refreshing. Hey, you know, standing strong. So anybody buy that, I would say, counterintuitive interpretation of what happened yesterday? Wrong. I don't know. I I, I have not read. I have not read. And uh, Jim, maybe. All right. Let's start with you, Jim. Why is that wrong? I just wanted to go. I wanted to go with like Trump going wrong. I like (laughs) the debates there. So I. Uh, no, no, you go. For, you go back. I'll tell you why I think he's wrong in a second. Oh, okay, okay. Well, I have not read this column, but I totally buy that. I, th- I think it's. I think it's one. I, Jim, I think it's a hundred percent true and accurate. And I think that maybe you're. Okay. Uh, so the reason the reason why is because I mean we're we're all still sort of operating under. Uh, perhaps an outdated view of how politically damaging a government shutdown is. I mean, like that was a big deal under Obama. It was like the, 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 the sort of playing chicken with the shutdown. And clearly that did come back to hurt Republicans at that point. But I think we're so far past that just in terms of, you know, what, how people are keeping score with violence against norms and violence against political stability and things like that. Um, I, I, I do think that at the very least in, in sort of 
Trump world, this is going to play well because, you know, he's willing to put the pedal to the metal in terms of getting the border security that these people, uh, that, that, that is for a lot of his supporters, the A number one political option. And even back when it was sort of, you know, Ted Cruz shutting down the government over, over things like this, he, he, he won a lot of accolades among sort of the, uh, the grassroots right at that time. And the grassroots right has basically become the people to whom Trump goes for, for all this stuff. They're sort of the 40% of the country that, that, that is his sort of rock uh, of political support and i and i you know so are you viewing this through appealing to the base and mostly through mm-hmm. that lens i guess i just don't really see what the constituency is in america anymore where like the a number one thing that they go to to determine their political support is like who shuts down the government you know okay, what I mean? okay. now this is this is i i think really think you put your finger on this because uh you know rich lowry says look this was a mistake for trump the first rule of shutdown fights is never to say that you want a shutdown. I think that's kind of the conventional wisdom. But what you are arguing is that this assumes that these norms and these rules that we've taken for granted are still in place. And Donald Trump has shattered and broken so many of those norms that you can't necessarily assume that. And secondly, what is the evidence that shutdowns actually do have a tremendous impact on the elections? You mentioned, you know, the probably the, the, again, the widely regarded as the most disastrous shutdown, the 2013 Ted Cruz shutdown, which accomplished nothing, but it did not hurt Republicans in 2014, didn't hurt them at all. And if, in fact, we are in this world of, of you know, fight them out, smash mouth, appeal to your base, isn't Trump doing exactly what he ought to be doing at this moment? If you assume that all of those norms of civility and bipartisanship and being judged by whether you are faithfully administering the laws are just so last century. Yeah, and you, and you, you almost got have to hand it to Trump in, in, in even one additional respect, which is that if you think about you know Trump's rhetoric on immigration and border security for the past few months, it's all been you know this scaremongering about the caravan, all these sort of ephemeral issues that 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 matter only tangentially if at all um but you know the for him to return now to saying i'm not going to sign a government funding bill uh that doesn't include a, a good amount put toward border security and the wall now you know that is back on sort of like the the sort of concrete solid ground of of border policy that that he sort of made his bones with you know in, dur- during the campaign that 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 has solidified his political support for all of this time because you know mm-hmm. again for for people for whom border security is sort of like the number one issue motivating them in politics they sort of see it as not just something that you can get around to whenever it's you know it's a it's a continually well, but, compounding but, problem right but, but also it, it's not one that he's been evaluated on substance uh, in any case uh, because this has always been the you know take him seriously but not literally because the the, the chant was uh, we're going to build a wall who's going to build the wall the mexicans are going to pay for it nobody even you know even asked that anymore with why the mexicans are not paying for it. Yeah. And, and that's you almost get the sense that that people kind of have a wink wink approach to the wall. By the way, I do think it's an interesting moment when and we mentioned Ann Coulter earlier, even um, Laura Ingram uh, was pointing out, uh, you know, the, the the president cannot have it both ways. He insists that the wall has already begun. There's been a lot of progress on the wall. Everybody knowledgeable says, no, that's not true. So, you know, the, the president seems to ping pong back and forth between saying, you know, I alone can fix this and I am building the wall and I am responsible right. for all these things. And then also saying that that uh, I'm willing to shut down the government because there is no wall. It, it is kind of a, 
a bizarre moment. Jim, do you want to weigh in on all of this? I wanted to uh, yeah. cue this up as a little bit uh, contrarian approach because most people think that that Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer basically uh, ate his lunch there in that meeting. Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, um, I, I, I as I interrupted and rudely, uh, you and Andrew, I mean, the, this <laughs> my view here wrong, is wrong. Uh, <laughs> you know, got to drop in some 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 Trump mm-hmm. audio there. Mike Pence, whom everyone on the uh, Trump is always right, right, deeply respect, and Sarah Huckabee Sanders, uh, who everyone thinks is doing a great job. I mean, I've sat in meetings like these, not at the Oval Office, of course. The way I kind of look at who won and who lost in the 2018 era of Trump politics, everyone can argue that they won, especially Trump. Trump will always argue that Trump always wins. I mean, Jonathan Last for us has written this dozens of times. To Trump supporters, Trump will always win. But if you look at Mike Pence just sitting there like an elf on a shelf and as uncomfortable as he was, and uh, at times when like the camera would pan out and you saw Sarah Huckabee Sanders just kind of like really like panicking, um, I mean, look, I, I've dealt with Chuck Schumer <laughs> for a, a number of years. I, I've seen how he debates. I see how he plays chicken on the Senate floor when I worked in the Senate. Pelosi, I have less experience with. I do think that Pelosi came out looking good. Mm-hmm. Sh- Schumer didn't. Trump didn't also. But I'm arguing that nobody won and because nobody wins in a government shutdown. None, not political parties, not majorities, not minorities, not caucuses, uh, not leadership. And not taxpayers. Taxpayers never win. And mm. someone, someone was, someone was having an argument. Did you know when the government shut down, all the people get paid for not working? I know it is such a fraud. And well, look, they didn't do it. You know, that's kind of like the stupidity on the right. Do you think it's really smart? You know, a shutdown goes for thirty, sixty, or ninety days to just deny everyone back pay. I mean, that that's that's a that's a well, real great yeah, I, strategy. So we, I, I don't we, think we, anyone we, wins yeah. in this. So we, that's we, where we I disagree. That with it's only a partial government shutdown, but it will include homeland security, which of course is uh, is somewhat uh, ironic. But I want to go back. Yeah, you know, by the way, a good way of, of evaluating how how something went is is to look at the videos of Mike Pence. I mean, I. And, you know, and the way in which Mike Pence has, uh, let's say, not been elevated by the uh, position of the vice presidency, sitting there with his eyes closed, saying absolutely nothing. He's the vice president of the freaking United States, and he does not contribute a single thing to this discussion. Well, and he no, was an outspoken that, member of the House. Mm-hmm. I mean, think back yeah, to when he so. was a member of the House. He, he was a, a fighter host. host and a talk radio host. The guy can talk. And he just doesn't want to get in Trump's way. Why couldn't he have just saved Trump from himself there? Because Trump looked pretty bad. Okay, one thing. I want to go back to Andrew's point. I want to go back to Andrew's point because Andrew and and, and Matt Lewis, I think, have made made a really, really good point. And especially we, you know, constantly need to sort of remind ourselves of of how, you know, do we still have the playbook um, to know how these things play out? I will say, though, that that I thought it was it was not a great moment for Donald Trump because it, it really – this is not new. No, nothing is, is really new here. That Donald Trump is a terrible negotiator and he was baited into owning the shutdown. And you could imagine that that uh, you know, all across Capitol Hill, Republicans were slapping their foreheads, you know, doing spit takes on all of that. That, that basically you could see when he reacts when Nancy Pelosi uses the term Trump shutdown and he immediately reacts to that. That was the one thing. And he like turns to somebody and say, was she a Trump shutdown? And then he decides, yeah, I'm going to do that. But he does it impulsively. Now, the problem with this 
is that it, you know, yeah, it might have felt good for him in the moment to own the shutdown, but what is his exit strategy? How does he get out of this right now? How, he has branded himself. He let he let Nancy Pelosi do something that he used to do pretty well for himself. He used to brand his what you know his own agenda. He basically let Nancy Pelosi do it. And I think that he probably that meeting sealed the deal for Nancy Pelosi if there was any question about whether or not the Democrats were going to keep her in leadership. Oh, Michael Cohen's not around to cover up his uh, indiscretions anymore. Dirty deeds. <laughs> yeah. Dirty deeds done cheap. Yeah, yeah. Talk about another another new piece of news for the day. Yeah, I I I I I buy that, Charlie. I think that that's you know the, the the point about Pelosi, you know, getting what she came into the meeting to get is is well taken. I think I think Pelosi and Schumer saw themselves as the victors for all for for all the reasons we just talked about because the conventional wisdom would have them as the victors, and you know obviously Trump feels like he did pretty well because he did what he always wanted to do, which is sort of draw this line in the sand uh, where, where he feels like he's staking out a good a good position on immigration. I, I do think that um, you know for for all the ways in which it's easy to sort of uh, ding Trump for being goofy and and, and not doing. Any of these things as well as he could have, uh, you know, in all these things, we, we we should acknowledge the fact that you know on the issue of immigration, the the the, the Trump administration has tried uh, not just to be sort of, um, uh, you know, not just to make these sort of ephemeral. Uh, optics-oriented moves, but you know that this has been one of the issues where you know, for better or for worse, we've seen the the administration you know trying to implement their policy vision for a long time. You know, we've seen a couple of other uh, times where they've played chicken with with this issue and just had the deals fall apart on their hands and have to kick it kick it down the court. But I just I just don't really see a situation where people who care about this issue and obviously this isn't a move that's designed to bring more people onto the team. This is a this is political you know uh, joshing uh, jo- jockeying around. Um, but but for people who are on the immigration team already who, who want to see Trump implement this agenda, it's really hard to see any of them having a problem with him sure, saying, sure. you know, this is perhaps the last time we're going to be able to do this before Democrats retake the House and they start setting that agenda again. And this is what I was elected to do. Yeah, and so here, this is what I'm going to. Here, here's, here's I think, the little bit of a flaw in that thinking, which is, all right, you know, the, the president has uh, only a limited amount of time to uh, turn around uh, his uh, his public approval uh, and fix the problem of suburban voters, particularly suburban women voters. What we found out was that playing to the Trumpian base works to a certain extent, but it is not enough, yeah. uh, especially if you've aroused the left and they turn out in huge numbers. I don't see that he's fixed that problem in any way. By the way, the L.A. Times has an absolutely fantastic, dazzling detail uh, about this meeting afterwards. One administration official speaking on the condition of anonymity, said Trump appeared upset after leaving the meeting, flicking a folder and sending its papers flying out. Later in the day, Trump described the meeting with Democrats as very friendly and said he didn't mind owning that issue. But you, uh, his initial reaction was he was ticked off. And I think also in part it was, it was that scene of, of watching the president of the United States being you know, um, challenged right to his face. First of all, I don't think that Donald Trump is used to that, um, but certainly we're not used to seeing people sitting in the room and basically mocking him to his face. I don't know. In the Oval Office, which uh, which undermines the bully pulpit in a way, right? I mean, like, these things are supposed to be carefully coordinated, and that's why, you know, when you saw Pence and others, it quickly went off the rails. And, you know, Republicans used to like the he said, she said sort of, you know, argument of, well, we're not shutting down the government. It's the Democrats who are intransigent, intransigent. and the Democrats would say, no, it's the Republicans who are intransigent. Yeah, no. And Trump likes <laughs> oh, it's me. 
<laughs> yeah, and Trump likes owning these controversies, you know, for better or for worse. In most cases, worse. Um, you know, I guess maybe well, it'll steal and, and the it, news cycle, but I think it's a mistake. Well, and the, the other the other thing is that, and, and I know that you're, you're dealing with three very transactional individuals there in the room who are not going to take things necessarily very personal, but you do get a sense of what the next two years is going to be like. And um, most, you know, obviously, if there was a prospect for the administration to get some things done on a bipartisan basis, and they will, they'll get stuff done, like, you know, the farm bill, maybe criminal justice reform, I don't know. Um, but uh, you know, moments like that uh, do absolutely nothing uh, to uh, make anyone think that the the Trump administration will be a success because he's found a way to work across the aisle. Um, and and also, you you got the sense watching Nancy Pelosi afterwards that she you know came out with a certain amount of swagger and her juice. Now I'm just using all kinds of bad metaphors. You know, <laughs> is the fact that she went in and you know she was willing to stand up and fight Donald Trump. I, I I'm really skeptical about the ability of either Nancy Pelosi or Chuck Schumer to be able to compromise with him, given the pressure that they're going to be having from their own base, uh, from, uh, from from the activists, not to mention the fact that at least half of the uh, Democrats in the Senate are actively running for president of the United States. Hey, by the way, here's a, some breaking news, guys. I got a text from uh, from my son in D.C. who was uh, at a salad bar in uh, up near in Capitol Hill, and he said, hey, right now, Serious discussion going on in the back. Beto O'Rourke and somebody. This is happening. Oh, Lord. He's doing it. Beto. Okay, he's better. uh, Clearly, clearly uh, a a Beto candidacy would would show that Democrats have learned about half of the necessary lessons from Hillary Clinton's failed campaign, right? Because he's he's younger. (laughs) He's more personable. He's got way less baggage. uh, He's just as much of sort of a boring, uh, technocratic uh, spineless focus group type, uh, Boring? rich liberal. Beto? He's, Are we talking about the uh, same he's, a, he's a focus. Uh, come on. I mean, come on. He's a, he's cute, right? He's like a, you know, he's like, he's like a, the cute young face of the democratic party, all the same policies as Hillary, except that, you know, now we're two years further along. If, if Hillary were to run in 2020, you know, she would be far to the left of who she was in 2016. Uh, Beto would be right there as well. Uh, I, I don't, I don't see it happening. And he just... genuinely likes salad, I guess. And she has to pretend well, we now to like know that, that is nice. Yeah. And she has to all pretend right. to like hot sauce. <laughs> Well, the, it's it's plausible to me because you have fifty candidates running for office. Yeah, I mean, he's know? got and, he and does and have the, all that political so, capital. Yeah, yeah. So the person who has the the name recognition, the excitement, the base has a tremendous advantage in a field like that. I mean, if it was Joe Biden versus you know Joe Biden, Eric Holder, and Beto, eh, maybe maybe not. Maybe he'd end up as the you know, as the uh, the John Edwards of, of the year. But, but when you have all of those, you have, you know, s- you know, fainting women at his feet type thing. Um, I think you got to take it seriously. So you say you don't think you'll get it done. But, you know, right now, seriously, who is the Democratic frontrunner? Name, name, me, name me the three Democratic frontrunners. OK, uh, Kamala Harris. Joe Biden, Bernie Sanders, and Bernie Sanders will win. I'm just uh, Bernie Sanders gets the nomination in 2020 unless there's a clear progressive front runner to 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 unseat him as sort of the Democratic Socialist front uh, front man. I old think it's, news. I think it's old Bernie man. Sanders. Old old news. You saw the you saw the MoveOn.org uh, survey, which certainly didn't suggest that Elizabeth Warren would be. You got two really real old guys there. Yeah. Uh, What's you know. wrong with old guys? Look. Nothing. I'm I'm in favor of old guys, but I'm, I'm just objectively speaking. <laughs> there are subscriber you know? base, Charlie. Yeah, We're right. pro old guys. Right. 
since we started with you know talking about Jurassic Park, you know, <laughs> the, the, the dinosaur thing, I'm I'm in there. Charlie, who do you um, think who do you think knocks off Bernie Sanders as the uh, either as the face of sort of the progressive uh, the the economically progressive wing of the Democratic Party, or just you know in a free for all, who who takes it? You, do you think it's Beto? Beto? Yeah, Beto? I do. I, I well, okay, who knows? Sherrod uh, Brown. Oh. But but I but I think that that if don't, in fact this is a change election, well, Sherrod Brown could do it, but I don't think he's. And when I say sexy, I, I obviously use this in a political term. Yeah, um, you don't, you don't like political. Linus Linus from Peanuts, sexy. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Well, he started combing his hair, yeah. which is a tell. It it it, it was. Um, no, I do think the. Being not being part of Washington is going to be an asset. Not being in the House or the Senate is going to be a plus. And I think that's going to be a problem. You know, Kamala Harris is is going to be a player. There's no question about it. But, you know, right now there are a lot of people in those lanes. Remember how uh, the Republican race filled out when everybody thought that there were these various lanes and you just had to win your lane. And then, of course, you'd go up against Donald Trump, who, of course, could not possibly be nominated. Um, you do need to start at some point. Somebody's going to have to do a very, very David Byler's going to have to do a very elaborate chart of you know who's in what lane. So who else is in Kamala Harris's lane? Um, uh, you know, it's uh, whereas Beto seems to have the ability to touch all of the other ones. Yeah. Oh, it's just so weird talking about him running for president. Yeah, may, I mean, you know, right may, maybe so. For Senate, you know? Like, yeah, like I. The, the the one other thing I'll say about o- O'Rourke is that it just it just seems like you know clearly there's so much energy right now, but it's so much sort of a cult of personality, and was so tied to that race trying to unseat Ted Cruz. Um, you you know just. If you, if you try to think of the kind of energy it is, it was almost sort of like a celebrity sort of pop star sort of thing. I mean, I just I just pulled up who the the you know for example the Billboard top artists were in 2016 as opposed to now. Uh, it was you know sort of Ed Sheeran and and Bruno Mars. You know, people who already in 2018 were all kind of sick of as sort of pop stars. And you know, the the shelf life for a I'm pop. Sorry, are they are they running? My my point is that the the, the shelf life for Ed a Sheeran, political pop Ed Sheeran star can't he's British. <laughs> the shelf life for a political pop star is not that much oh, longer right. necessarily than that for a musical pop star. So you know, two years from now, with really no no reason for Beto to be sort of distinguishing himself, I I, I have a hard time seeing him con- keep that momentum up. But again, you know, we're all speculating, and and I I I, I no, freely right. admit I, these are these are arguments that maybe just don't have any sort of. Uh, purchase on what ends up happening for the next because who knows you know the last two years have been crazy enough we've we're all we all feel like we were you know infants in in, in 2016 i feel like so uh well we were and, <laughs> and, and now we know how little we understood about anything and we had to take that humility forward into 2020 gentlemen there's a lot of other things we could talk about today but we are out of time and of course there's always tomorrow right uh thank you <laughs> for listening to the daily standard podcast i'm charlie sykes we'll be back tomorrow and we'll do this all over again